What's happening, folks? It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent February 2nd in the year of our Lord, 2020. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. Get your shoe shined up, boy. Boy. Ooh, I'm gonna run you ragged, boy. Gonna make you sweat. Gonna make you earn every drop today, boy. Boy, fetch my riding crop, boy. There was a time in which I could have had you shot. They call me Mr. Tibbs. Fetch my tomato soup, boy. Sometimes I get that yearning, that heartfelt yearning to just get loose better than Mother Goose on a motherfucker, right? That heartfelt yearning to just lambast, really just give a good shellacking, tear a strip, you know? Just really browbeat a motherfucking individual, you know? Sometimes people get nattering and babbling at you, and we got to walk through this life like fucking church mice. Squeak! Like little fucking church mice and puppies and nuns, you know? And sometimes I get that yearning to just really tear a strip, give a good dressing down to a motherfucker. You know what I mean? Case in point. I'm at the grocery store. I'm at the grocery store, and all I want is one lousy can of tomato soup. Tomato, tomato, have it your own motherfucking way. All I want is one measly can of tomato soup. So I go over to the soup aisle, and I'm looking around. Not a single can of tomato soup. Not a single can of tomato soup. I'm looking around. Nothing. Nothing. And they have every other soup under the sun. I'm talking mushroom soup, vegetable soup, minestrone soup. I'm talking chicken noodle soup. Chicken noodle soup for the teenage soul, for Pete's sake. Every other soup under the sun. No tomato soup. The cornerstone of soup. The classic soup. Where it all began with soup. Tomato soup. Everybody knows that, right? Everybody knows that. So I'm, I'm besides myself and I'm, I'm, I'm looking around. I notice. I notice this fucking bonehead bozo grocery clerk. This fucking grocery clerk, he's stocking the chicken noodle soup. He's restocking the chicken noodle soup shelf. Stack upon stack upon stack. Mountains, mountains of fucking chicken noodle soup. Nary a single can of tomato soup. I'm looking at this bozo and I'm just fitting. I'm fitting to give him a good shellacking, right? A real dressing down, right? Give him the fucking brow beating. Hey, you, you fucking bonehead. Fetch my tomato soup, boy. Are you fucking bozo bony? What are you fucking blind? Would it kill you to put out a can of tomato soup? I was besides myself, right? Anyways, patience is a virtue. If you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast, I am an actor extraordinaire. 19 years of service, diploma in theater arts. Thespian to the bone, ladies and gentlemen. And, you know, here we are in February, and as always, feeling charged, 
you know, spit a little bit, eh, no big deal. But, you know, I'm feeling charged, you know, tearing into February, guns a-blazing. Um, one thing that I work on, on the podcast, Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast, I do a lot of narrated pieces. These are pieces of um, content where I narrate, narrate a famous short story, poem, something along those lines. Or I also um, do my own writing. I write a little sketch, a little, um, you know, story of my own concoction. And I put some vocal chops, you know. I use my old vocal cords and I make a audio play. Yeah. And these are very fetching. You can check them out on my YouTube channel, Jonathan Ramcharan, on YouTube, generally under the JR the P Schnips. JR the P Schnips on my YouTube page. That's where you can check these out. And I've been busting my hump, you know, working on some of these in the new year. So I'm very excited for that. It's always fun and exciting to do what inspires me. I'm a big fan of... Um, Old-time radio, um, you know, radio mystery theater, radio dramas. And in that spirit, that's why I do these. And um, it keeps me engaged, engaged as an actor extraordinaire. And it keeps the podcast fresh and uh, very blessed to do that. Um, as I spoke on previous episodes... Um, I have a few auditions lined up this year. Now, sometimes no news is good news. And that's relatable across industry. Whatever you're doing, folks, sometimes no news is good news, right? Let's say you're like a salesman, saleswoman, and you're out there busting your hump, trying to get um, various contacts, various leads, um, you know, you make a connection, you're talking to a purchasing advisor for some big corporation, and, uh, you know, you finagle this deal, you finagle a deal where perhaps you can sell them some merchandise, then you don't hear. You don't hear from these folks for a bit. Well, sometimes no news is good news. Maybe, um, maybe they're busy. Maybe the organization is, you know, temporarily on some sort of budget freeze. Whatever it is. So sometimes no news is good news. You can, um, you know, give them a call in the future. Pick up where you left off. You know, maybe you can sell your knickknacks, patty wax, whatever the hell it is you're selling. You know, and, you know, not get bent out, not get bent out of shape. Because sometimes no news is good news across industry. And that's kind of what I'm dealing with right now. At the top of the year, um, I had these auditions lined up, you know. I sent out my headshot and my resume to this production company. They're producing this short film, which is later going to be turned into a feature, feature film. I send out my headshot and my resume. I get a reply. Hi, Jonathan. Nice to hear from you. We're always interested in meeting new artists. Um, we're in the process right now of casting. 
what's your availability, what's good for you. Um, we'll be in contact soon to set up an audition. I hit him back. Hey, word, wagwan, what's happening? Sounds good. Um, I'm available this time, blah, 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 yada, yada. Looking forward to hearing from you. Well, I didn't hear from him, you know, and I'm sitting around scratching my head. And it's like, well, sometimes no news is good news. Because, um, you know, business takes time. Business takes effort. Business takes money, resources across the board, whatever the business is. For producing a film, when you're producing a film, I mean, you got to secure the budget. You got to secure the location, um, crew, equipment, uh, transportation, food services, cast, you know? So there's a lot that goes into making a film. So perhaps they're just a little behind schedule. So it's a little too, little too early to sweat it. And even if, uh, even if I've just been passed over, I wouldn't sweat it anyways. You know, I just keep taking these steps forward, doing what's in front of me. And I'm very blessed to do that. And that kind of attitude, um, I feel is relatable across industry, across industry. And sometimes you slur your words as an actor too. And then again, you don't fucking get bent out of shape. Who cares? So what if I said, I'm really industry, whatever, fuck it. You know, it doesn't matter. You just keep going forward. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor extraordinaire. I am also an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. Over three years of consecutive, consistent sobriety. Many different avenues of recovery that I have to thank, you know? Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil was paramount in my recovery. You know, I remember when I was out there drinking like a fish every day. I'd rush home from work, right? I'd crack a beer. You know, I'm down in a beer. You know, I'm chain smoking cigarettes. You know, I'm smoking weed. You know, and I'd turn on the TV. I'm watching Dr. Phil. And I'm watching Dr. Phil. You know what your problem is, buddy? You got a bad attitude problem. You got no accountability. You got no conviction in your life. You know, there's an old saying that we have down in the South. It's, you know, if you're a drunken, drunk dummy, then you're a drunk, drunken dummy. Get your life together, buddy. Your life's in turmoil. You know, and I'd be praying to him. I'm sorry, Dr. Phil. I'm sorry, Dr. Phil. Save me. I'm a fucking idiot. I know. Well, you know, buddy, you got your bad attitude problem. Bad attitude problem, buddy. If Oprah loved him, of course I love Dr. Phil, right? So, you know, Dr. Phil was paramount in my recovery. You know, a great source of information. I'm also a disciple of 12-step programs. And I'm getting a little dummy with the words, you know, um, not to trigger anybody. 12-step um, uh, programs are basically, um, you know, a 12-step model, 12 steps of solution for addiction, alcoholism. And these are meetings you can attend all over the world. That's how far the program reaches. And what you do is you attend these meetings by your own accord. It's all very discreet. 
Um, there are no dues, no fees, no emphasis on religion. And um, you learn various steps of recovery. You get to share on issues pertaining to your alcoholism, addiction. Then you get to listen. You get to hear from others. And through that, you become a part of a society, a part of a community. You come out of your isolation. Because, I, because alcoholism, addiction, it's very isolating, self-absorbed behavior. And you come out of your isolation. And day by day, your days add up. And one day, you find yourself in a new life. And that's what I'm rocking with right now. Over three years sober. And um, what I'm dealing with at the top of this new year is the Battle of the Bulge. The Battle of the Bulge. Um, recovering alcoholics, much like anybody in life, really, um, alcoholism really just magnifies the human condition. You know, whatever you're dealing with in your human condition, alcoholism, addiction, will tend to magnify it. We're all human. But, um, you know, one thing a lot of recovering alcoholics deal with is um, sugar. Sugar intake. Yeah, you know. You switch, you switch over from drinking booze, getting drunk every night. Sometimes you take comfort, sometimes you take comfort in like sweets, candy, cakes, cupcakes, whatever floats your boat. And, you know, I've been dealing with that a little bit. The battle of the bulge. Like, I work out, um, I'm in good shape, but for my health, I don't want to be knocking back chocolate bars, gummy bears, gummy worms, Kit Kat bars, you know, um, sesame seed snaps. Like, I don't have to be going to town like it's fucking Halloween night, but like, that's just how I've been a little bit as of late. And, um, you know, I'm getting a handle on it, you know, uh, so far so good. I feel kind of, um, on the, on the, uh, on the mend from the holiday intake, you know, like Christmas holiday season, you know, um, everybody's eating candies, cookies and all that shit. Right. So, you know, I'm on the mend feeling healthy and, um, you know, just rocking with that. And again, if you're out there and you are um, struggling with addiction, alcoholism, I do recommend giving a try. Give it a try. 12-step program or perhaps, you know, Dr. Phil. And, um, you know, take it one day at a time. It's yours to have. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, alcoholic. I am also a janitor. <clears throat> yeah. I'm talking mop buckets, slop buckets, toilets, tampons, urinals, urinal cakes, garbage bags, garbage bins, garbage trolleys, parking lots, you know, dust pans, dish rags, the whole kit and caboodle, ladies and gentlemen. God made dirt and dirt don't hurt. I'm a mo fucking janitor. I push a little mop bucket. <laughs> I dip the mop in the mop water, then I mop the floor, you know, I uh, wash windows, you know, 
You know, I push a garbage trolley. You know, I um, vacuum. And if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. As I mentioned, alcoholic. That's what I am. And um, it facilitates my recovery. Yeah. A nine to five where I'm uh, focused, earning an honest income. Yeah, it's blessed. Um, And also, it facilitates my performing. I am a thespian, actor, extraordinaire. And I have expenses, like any business. Um, You gotta spend money to make money, to a a degree. And, um, you know, I got a lot of plans that are well in the works. You know, I'm looking to the future. And there's a lot of plans that are well in the works. And believe it or not, it's a lot due in part to my janitorial hustle. So I'm very fortunate for that. And um, a part of being a janitor and a part of being an alcoholic and a part of being a human being is tolerance. I've been dealing with a lot of tolerance in the workplace as of late. Part of the human condition is ego, the self-importance of one, you know? My self-importance, I am who I am. I have my thoughts, I have my needs, I have my desires, right? And a lot of times those conflict with other people. And a lot of times they have nothing to do with conflicting rather than just imposing people's Needs, wants, desires, egotism, a lot of times imposes on others. And that's what I'm dealing with lately in the uh, janiteering racket. As a janitor, I'm dealing with a lot of tolerance. People becoming at you talking shit, right? For example, right now what's going on is, um, you know, the coronavirus. Oh, right? a very well it's a serious situation so they say so you know i'm like a veteran in future in future years i'll be looking back i was a veteran of the coronavirus 2020 as a janitor right like we're on fucking red alert you know every time i turn around jonathan go fucking wipe down that jonathan go wipe down this this that and the other ah, what do you want me to do about it do i look like a fucking scientist i can't cure the coronavirus, you know, but they're on my case day and night. Jonathan, wipe that down. Jonathan, spray that, disinfect that. Where's the hand sanitizer? Where's the hand wipes? Jonathan, 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 right? So I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off, like wiping down elevator buttons, door handles, you know what I mean? Fucking garbage bins. I'm just sanitizing like galore. (laughs) Every time I have to turn around, it's like sanitize, sanitize, sanitize. But hey, yo, like, I'll be looking back in future years like, I'm a veteran. I'm a vet of the um, 2020 coronavirus. And there's a lot of tolerance I have to exhibit because I don't know whether or not it's people's ego, if it's people's fear, but like, people can be so imposing. I'm, I'm, 
I'm at an elevator shaft the other day. I'm standing next to this elevator shaft, and I'm wiping down the elevator buttons with like uh, like medical grade hand sanitizers. Like they use this stuff on medical equipment. They use it in like um, agricultural, you know, settings, medical settings. So I'm wiping down these fucking elevator buttons. This lady sidles up next to me. Oh, I've noticed you've been wiping down the elevator buttons. Is that because of the coronavirus? I was like, yeah, we're trying to do what we can, you know, get ahead of things, tackle what we can, try to promote a, you know, a clean, sanitized work environment, you know? And she goes, oh, okay, well, I guess that makes sense. But I can't help but notice you're wiping down the elevator buttons. But, you know, when you think about it, really, there's like dozens of handles and doorknobs in the building. So then I go, well, you might as well just stay home then, right? She goes, oh, okay, yes. Well, I'd like to. Bye. And she gets into the elevator and fucks off, right? And... You know, that's an example of me, you know, balancing tolerance with abuse. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, I'm a janitor. I'm working. I don't need people creeping up on me, giving me their two cents, talking nonsense, being negative. You know, it's like I'm doing my job. You're interrupting me. I had patience to a point. Now you want to get all negative. Well, when you think about it, if you're wiping down those elevator buttons, I mean, when you really think about it, there's dozens of handles and doorknobs throughout the building. Okay, well, if that's how you feel about it, why don't you just stay home? Like, what, what do you want me to do? Hold your hand? Babysit you? Listen to your babbling and nonsense? I just, you know, I kind of kicked back with a little bit of, um, you know, attitude. Sometimes you got to give people the gears. You know, and uh, as I alluded to, sometimes you got to just tear a strip off a motherfucker. Give him a good shellac and Lord knows it doesn't feel good. You know, I don't like to have to be on guard for insults at every turn. But unfortunately, that's how people are in this world. They press your patience. They push your buttons. They get to talking. This other doorknob. This other dildo fucking douchebag at my work. We're clearing out a storage closet, right? So I'm the janitor. I'm there to take out the garbage from the storage closet. And then the maintenance crew, they're there to oversee, see what's going on, because they're going to be taking over this storage closet, the maintenance department, right? So there's this maintenance man. He's standing there and he's... How come you don't do it this way? How come you don't do it that way? <laughs> He's got like a history of like chiming, chirping, you know, talking at me. And I usually just ignore it and I ignore it and I ignore it. But finally, it came to a point where it's like he was kind of mocking me in a sense, right? How come you don't do it that way? Oh, that makes sense. Oh, okay. Could you go any slower? <laughs> like talking at me and he's this big fat dumb middle-aged bozo it's like don't ever talk to me about speed buddy you fucking sloth 
I didn't say that, right? But I just turned to him and I said, hey, all that you're saying, never mind it. Never mind. Just never mind. I got no time for this. Never mind. But, 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 but nothing, buddy. Never mind. And I just told him straight, never mind. And he's like, well, I'm sorry. I'm like, okay, if you're sorry, then whatever. Cool. Now fuck off, basically. And I really battle with that because it's the imposing nature people have on people. They see a janitor and they think they can talk down to them just to make themselves feel better. It's like, yo, my boss is happy with my work. My supervisor's happy with my work. Why are you talking at me? Is your life that pathetic that you have to go around and interfere with what a lowly janitor is doing? Like, get a fucking life, buddy. Get bent. Back the fuck up off me, son. But hey, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. Just keep pushing that mop bucket. Keep, uh, you know, washing them windows. Keep fucking pushing them garbage trolleys. Keep, uh, you know, vacuuming. You know, that's what I do. And if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. And uh, water off a duck's ass. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan. Janitor. And last of all, I am a stand-up comedian. Extraordinaire. 11 years of service. Um, feeling very good as well. I mean, I can't help but be that. I gotta feel good. I gotta look good. I gotta I feel good. You know? Gotta keep the positivity got to keep the positivity going. You know what I mean? It's too easy to get brow beaten in this cynical world we live in. And um, one thing that's very fortunate in my comedy career at the moment, I'm working towards um, recording some stand-up comedy content, you know, to put online. That will be, you know, within the not-so-distant future, but I'm looking towards the future. Um, I've begun a new writing regiment that I'm very fortunate for, very happy to be doing. Um, I'm feeling kind of um, at the helm, you know. I'm at the wheel of my career, and I'm feeling good about that. And, you know, I'm just trying to keep that positivity going because it's just too easy to, you know, go down a rabbit hole of negativity when people be imposing upon you in the workplace when all the world seems to be in somewhat somewhat chaos, you know? It's just too easy to get bent out of shape. So, um, yeah, that's what I'm doing. As a stand-up comedian extraordinaire. And, um, you know, it's not always easy because a big part of it is showing up. Showing up to the gig, you know, getting your ass off the couch, getting out to the gig, sitting your ass down in the chair, doing the writing, you know, getting your ass up, setting the camera up, doing the podcast, vodcast, and, um, you know, that's what it is, clocking those hours. So I'm fortunate for that. I'm grateful for that. And I'm rocking with that. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, stand-up comedian extraordinaire. And those are the four things that sum me up at the moment. Actor, alcoholic, 
janitor, stand-up comedian. So, welcome to the show. Mm -hmm. I spoke on there a moment ago, um, you know, one moment, folks, taking a sip of coffee. I spoke on a moment ago, um, you know, coronavirus, um, world affairs, things that are going on in the world, world affairs. And I came upon a very interesting article, and it kind of inspired me somewhat. So I'll share it with y'all now. This is an article from cbc.ca. It's an opinion piece. Let's stop fixating on soft news, soft news, and pay attention to things that matter, Canada. He's calling the shots. Wyatt James Shearman. He's a um, journalist for CBC News Opinion. So article by Wyatt James Shearman. Let's stop fixating on soft news and pay attention to things that matter, Canada. Some of the big domestic stories of 2020 so far should test the patience of any engaged citizen. It's been a thoroughly disheartening month in Canadian political. It's been a thoroughly disheartening month in Canadian political and domestic current affairs coverage. One that should test the patience of any engaged citizen with an interest in the country and the well-being of its people. Don't believe me? Consider some of the national stories in the first few weeks of 2020 that galvanized the attention of Canadians. For starters, in the opening days of the new year, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau... Hi everyone, my name's Justin Trudeau. I wear blackface... Um, what else? Um, you know, little things like that. And it's no big deal because I'm a, I'm a very open-minded, um, loving prime minister, even though sometimes I cake black makeup across my face and dance the jigaboo. I'm a very open-minded, uh, prime minister. Justin Trudeau. Sure, I'm not a shwarmy fuck. No, I am not a shwarmy fuck. I am not a shwarmy fuck. Put that on the record. For starters, in the opening days of the new year, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau returned to the country after a two-week vacation in Costa Rica. His arrival in Ottawa caused quite a stir, though not due to anything of substance. Trudeau made no significant policy announcements, nor did he declare any major staffing changes or a cabinet shuffle. So what was all the media fuss about? Merely that the Prime Minister came back from his holiday retreat sporting a new beard. See, look at my new beard. My name's Justin Trudeau. I'm not a shwarmy fuck. That fucking coy little fucking bird's nest that he's got on his face. That little scraggly bush, you know, thinking he's cute. That was it. A bit of hair growth on his face. Some salt and pepper stubble to cover that once uh, clean-shaven jawline. (laughs) That Trudeau jawline. It It was hardly a newsworthy event, 
But you wouldn't know that from the widespread attention it received at home and abroad. Everybody was talking about it. That salt and pepper little after shadow. That coy little throwback that so vigorously reminds us, reminds us of his fucking beefy father. Mmm. The Trudeau legacy lives on. <sighs> Unfortunately, that was only the first of many banal and relatively inconsequential stories to come. The relocation of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, <laughs> Prince Harry and Meghan Markle to Canada was another story which consumed an inordinate amount of precious journalistic airtime and prose. Harry and Meghan's move, along with the relinquishing of their official titles, has even was even more obsessively covered by media outlets. While the story deserves some attention, it certainly doesn't warrant the immense exposure it received, especially as neither Harry nor Meghan will have any substantial impact on health, happiness, and welfare of Canadians. No shit. I was talking about that earlier this month, month right? It's just like, yo, like... It's ridiculous. They're going forward and they're talking about, you know, they're going to be, I say, I'm renouncing my title as Duke of Sussex and I'm going to be financially independent. Blah, 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 blah. Give it a fucking break, buddy. You're fucking in bed with the fucking British monarchy. You know, you're a fucking British political monar monarchical, a British monarch pundit dummy douchebag. You know, it's like everything in your essence is based in the British monarchy. You know, you got money up the wazoo. Give it a fucking rest, buddy. All right? But anyways. Um, Harry and Meghan's move, along with the... Oh, yeah, I already said this. So blah, blah, blah. Prince Harry, Meghan Markle. Who gives a shit? Then an even more ridiculous news event occurred. Just the other week, Justin Trudeau tweeted out a photo of himself purchasing some gourmet donuts while en route to his government cabinet retreat in Winnipeg. It all seemed harmless enough, but you wouldn't know it from the outrage on Twitter, nor from the coverage the scandal received extending even to American news organizations like CNN and Fox News. And what was it that caused such furor, you might ask? Simply that Trudeau elitist that he is, chose to purchase some expensive donuts and not from the staple of Canadian identity Tim Hortons, but rather from a local bakery. My name's Justin Trudeau. I got a new beard and I'm a very swarmy fuck and I insist upon the most gourmet of gourmet donuts. I can't simply eat a fucking glazed donut from Tim Hortons, you fucking bearded fucking hack. Never mind that O Donuts, the bakery in question, why don't they call it A Donuts? <laughs> if you're going to call something O Donuts, you might as well switch it to A Donuts. You know, E-H, Canada, A. Eh? Anyways, never mind that O Donuts, the bakery in question, is Canadian-owned, while Tim Hortons is not. The outrage still ensued, as did the widespread media coverage of the absurdly silly affair. Yeah, it was a bit of a goofball soiree, soiree or whatever. 
Of course, this is not to say that genuinely important and newsworthy events haven't been given the time of day. There has been in-depth coverage of a number of recent developments, with major events on Canadians, whether it be the escalation of tension between U.S. and Iran, President Donald Trump's impeachment, or the spread of the coronavirus. Yes. So that news article was very interesting to me, because it touches on the idea that, you know, here we are in this, you know, instant news cycle world where fake news, okay? It's all a witch hunt, okay? Uh, fake news. It just bombards us 24-7. And it's like, what, what do you place your attention on, you know? What is newsworthy? What is just complete hogwash? You know? And there's only so much um, data space in the mind. There's only so much room in your mind for information. So when you're bombarded with all these stories, it can be very draining, confusing, upsetting, and... I don't know. I thought that was just a very interesting news article. And, um, you know, I don't know what purpose it serves to just kind of, um, you know, lament the woes of this, um, you know, oversaturated news savvy world. You know, like what, what purpose does it really serve to lament it? But I guess keeping in mind these things can help hit me up jr.thepodcast at gmail.com what do you think of um the bombardment of just these fucking dr seuss mother goose cat in the hat fucking goofy cornball goofball fucking news stories that we're being like inundated with on a constant basis hit me up jr.thepodcast at gmail.com what else is going on in the news? Oh, yes. Um, as I had alluded to. The coronavirus. So here's the, here's the latest. Coronavirus. First death outside China reported in the Philippines. The Filipino people are spoken. We are sick of this coronavirus. We will not be responsible for the coronavirus. We will not. The Filipino people have spoken. Coronavirus, first death outside China reported in Philippines. A man has died of the coronavirus in the Philippines. The first confirmed fatality outside China. The patient was a 44-year-old Chinese man from Wuhan in Hubei province, where the virus was first detected. He appeared to have been infected before arriving in the Philippines, the World Health Organization who, World Health Organization, who, said. More than 300 people have died in the outbreak so far, the vast majority from Hubei. More than 14,000 people have been infected. The U.S., the United States, Australia, and an increasing number of other countries have barred the arrival of foreigners from China, and are requiring their own citizens to be quarantined. The number of coronaviruses 
The number of coronavirus cases worldwide has overtaken that of the similar SARS epidemic, which spread to more than two dozen countries in 2003. But the mortality rate of the new virus is much lower, suggesting it is not as deadly. Yeah, so that's the current stats on the coronavirus. Um, Over 300 confirmed deaths, something like 304 confirmed deaths. Um, The first death being that of this Chinese man in the Philippines. Um, 14,000 people have been infected worldwide. Um, Yeah. It's a serious situation, obviously. The best case is to, you know, do the best you can. Keep your hands washed, you know. Wash between those toesy posies. Wash between the ears, you know. Sanitize. Keep ahead of things the best you can. So that's all I would suggest <laughs> because I'm a health official, as you all know. So that's what I would suggest. But I'm also um, feeling sort of apprehensive. You know, because, um, you know, this has been a very, you know, emotionally, eventfully charged year so far. You know, U.S., Iran, Canada, Iran, the downing of that 737 MAX uh, airplane, you know, the 752, I believe. Air Flight 752 um, in Iran that claimed the life of, like, was it 176 people? 57 Canadians? Um, Which was in retaliation to the um, unilaterally sanctioned airstrikes by the United States in Iran that killed President, sorry, General Soleimani. And, you know, is this coronavirus just being engineered to overshadow these big governmental situations, these potential wars, you know, World War III, as they called it? Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Is this coronavirus just an engineered thing? Is it just something to keep us preoccupied while the powers that be concoct their little schemes? I don't know. Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Pardon moi. Little burp there. All right. And what else is going on? Donald Trump impeachment, the latest. So this is from CNN.com. Here's what we've learned from Trump's impeachment trial. Two key Republican senators, Lisa Murkowski and Lamar Alexander, decided Friday to vote against hearing witnesses and seeking new evidence, evidence in President Donald Trump's impeachment trial. The final tally, 51 no, 49 four. Yeah, so 51 have voted no, 49, well, the tally, I don't even know, this is so kind of, this is kind of unclear to me, but 
The final tally is 51 no, 49 4. That means the Republican majority in the Senate will acquit Trump on a mostly party-line vote. Following some negotiation among Senate leaders on Friday, the vote has been set for 4 p.m. Eastern Time next Wednesday, which is another which is after both the Iowa caucus where Trump will be on the ballot and after the State of Union where Trump will deliver his annual address to Congress with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi presiding. So that's what I'm confused about. It's like they've already done a tally, the final tally being 51 no and 49 4. But then the vote is set for Wednesday. It's like they tally the votes before they vote. Like, what the fuck? There's so much fucking boondoggle, filibustering, backdoor babbling that goes on in politics. How the hell do you make tops or tails of it? You know? They've tallied up the votes, but they're not going to vote upon the votes until they vote upon the voting process next Wednesday when they vote. But what we do know is that the Senate will never hear from John Bolton, whose book, if it is published, will allege that Trump directed him to help with the pressure campaign on Ukraine back in May. We also know that the government that emerges from this has changed. Here's what we've learned so far from the impeachment by, dom- by Democrats and presumptive, and presumptive acquittal We also know that the government that emerges from this has changed. Here's what we've learned so far from the impeachment by Democrats and presumptive acquittal by Republicans by Donald J. Trump. Of Donald J. Trump. And yada, yada, yada. It goes into like the ins and outs, the blah, blah, blah. And it's all just blah, 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 blah. Like it just... You know, it's like Republicans agree, some Republicans agree that the president acted, um, the pre- the president's actions were wrong, but th- are they impeachable? And it's all just very partisan politic. It's all very just blah, 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 boondoggle, boonswoggle, filibustering, blah, blah, backdoor fucking nonsense. And, um... Basically, the vote goes on this Wednesday. It's a presumed vote for acquittal by the Republican majority of the Senate. But we shall see, going into this November election, what the deal with this Donald J. Trump character will be. I don't know. But hey, what's your thoughts on this whole impeachment scenario hit me up jr.thepodcast at gmail.com i've i you know i I can't stomach it i've had enough to eat in terms of this impeachment banquet i've had enough and it's like whatever fuck it he basically um was in he basically um used his position as president to withhold funding to ukraine in order to um, prod and um, encourage the Ukrainian president to launch an investigation on political rival Joe Biden, um, his upcoming uh, potential 
presidential running adversary, you know. And he used his position as president to have another country interfere with their political process. It's all very kind of scandal-laden. But as the president would say, okay, fake news, okay. First of all, fake news, witch hunt, okay. It was perfect. It was a perfect phone call. <laughs> Whatever. Anyways, folks, it's that time of year again. Hide your purse and fake a smile. It's Black History Month. Yay! It's that joyous time of month where, um, you know, we get to reflect on the history of black people worldwide, you know? In fairness, I don't even know how far Black History Month stretches. Is it purely a um, North America thing or does it go globally? I don't know, but it's Black History Month. Clutch your purse and fake a smile. We're going deep. And, you know, this year, you know, I got a lot to think about. Like, for example, I was recently called a nigger. Great way to kick off um, Black History Month. As happenstance would happen, I was recently called a nigger. Well, at least I was alluded to as being one. Nigger. Nigger. I'm walking down the street and I see this fucking disheveled, homeless looking bum kind of mental patient. And he's sidling along and I can see the evil in his eye, right? He just kind of looks at me, right? I'm like, and I look the other way and he's looking at me, right? And as he passes me, right, he's just like, niggers, niggers, niggers. He mumbles that. Nigger, 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 nigger. And, you know, I saw the negativity. I saw the demon in his eye. This person is obviously mentally unbalanced or whatever. But, you know, that's a real thing that, um, you know, we face as black people in the world. Discrimination based on, you know, appearance. That's something that everyone faces, I guess. Discrimination on appearance. But, um, you know, this Black History Month is definitely a time to consider um, the whole black experience. And things that are very much um, on my agenda this February is I'm doing a lot of reading. I'm reading up on some of um, the history of the black experience on planet Earth. I'm reading up on some of the um, figures, historical figures, historical heroes in the black community. And as time goes along on Jonathan Ramchand on the podcast, I'm going to bring some of those to light, share some of these thoughts and experiences. And that's what I'm working towards this Black History Month. And it's also a time for me to reflect on the issues in the black community in 2020. You know, we're very much still in a time of racism. Um, outside of Black History Month, something that's going on that's been in the news is like the coronavirus. It's sparking a lot of racism towards um, the Asian community. You know, a lot of Chinese people are getting some, 
you know, backlash, some prejudice heaped upon them. I've even seen it at my workplace. I saw like um, this Chinese lady, um, you know, getting the third degree from some fucking douchebag. He's like, um, oh yeah, so you're from China, aren't you? She's like, actually, no, I was born and raised in Canada. Um, yep, 100% Canadian, born and raised. And the guy goes, well, your family's from China, isn't, isn't, aren't they? And she's like, yes, my cultural background is Chinese, but I am a Canadian. And it's like that fucking delusional, um, detached way people are sometimes when they just, they just talk nonsense. And, you know, it's definitely in the air, along with the coronavirus. <laughs> it's definitely in the air, this sense of prejudice towards the, um, the Chinese community during this time of, um, you know, pandemic, this coronavirus. But, um, you know, that's some of the prejudice the Asian community is facing. And, you know, Black History Month is um, a time to think about some of the racism that, that uh, factors in the black experience. Like, for example, what is the definition of racism? I have the definition. The definition. Raja. Raja. I didn't know that would be in the dictionary. Radar scope. Hmm, that's a new word. Never heard of that. Racism. 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 Racket. Uh, radar. Um, raccoon. You damn coons. Raccoon. Uh, okay, here we go. Racism. A belief that one's own race is superior. A policy or practice based on racism. Okay. A belief that one's own race is superior. And how that manifests in society a lot of times is, you know, withholding of um, opportunity, the elitist superior mindset of, you know, for example, segregation. You know, our race is superior and we don't want them jigaboos on our side of town. And we're going to withhold opportunity and, you know, make stumbling blocks societally for people of a darker complexion. You know, you know, the belief that the black community is somehow, um, Uh, inferior to, let's say, another race, you know? So what's the cure for that? Um, that's the question of our times. I wish I knew, you know? But that's what we're dealing with. People who feel that their race is superior to others and it's such a sad thing to see that in 2020, it's still very much an issue. Um, police brutality. That's a big issue. You know, like um, the, it's, it's just been news story after news story in, in 2019. Um, the latest one, uh, this, young, this young man, this black young man in Ontario, 
he was like, you know, 19 years old. Circumstances are kind of unclear, but he allegedly was breaking into the vehicle of an off-duty police officer. So this young black man is allegedly allegedly breaking into the vehicle of this off-duty police officer. The off-duty police officer and and his brother who was also a either a retired police officer or an off-duty police officer. I can't remember quite offhand, but anyways, there was at least one off-duty police officer and um, his brother. They go and they beat this young black man within an inch of, um, well, severely, severely beat him to the point in which he loses an eye. The orbital bone in his face is busted and he loses an eye, you know? And, you know, that court is, that case is still pending in the courts, um, I believe, I should really look into that. I was following that earlier this year, or earlier last year. This past year, I was looking into that. And, you know, just, you know, there was the case of that um, late last year. There was the case of, um, in America, that black man who was shot to death by an off-duty police woman in his own apartment. You know, this off-duty police officer, she lived in the same apartment as this young black man. She somehow bumbles, stumbles into his apartment. She's in the wrong apartment building. She walks in, sees this guy on the couch eating a bowl of ice cream or something, and she opens fires, killing the man. And she's um, convicted of, like, involuntary manslaughter, I shouldn't even say this. I don't know what she's convicted of, but she is convicted of some sort of malpractice. And she's sentenced to some fucking slap on the wrist. Some measly, like, five, ten year, some measly police, some measly jail time, which she more than certainly is going to get reduced. And... It was just such an unfitting um, outcome for such obvious wrongdoing. It's like, how can you even look at that story and be like, oh, that warrants some uh, consider, well, that warrants leniency. It was a complete bonehead mistake and she should have been penalized to the max. But, you know, as it is, you know, there's this whole cultural of, you know, the blue wall, standing behind the blue wall and protecting each other in the, the police force, protecting each other in the case of these police brutality um, situations. Sammy Yatim, the young um, unarmed, well, he was armed, um, the young man who was fatally shot to death aboard a TTC vehicle. Um, I forget what year. Maybe it was like 2013, 2014. He was shot to death um, by a police officer 
That police officer has recently been released on parole. He's going to be attending university or trade school to become an electrician. And deadly done, he's gone on with his life. After serving like three, four years, whatever, two and a half years, some pitiful fucking jail sentence for being convicted of second degree murder. <laughs> and again, um, I don't know what quite the, I do know and I don't know. All I know is it's like, it's hard to stomach because he's acquitted. He's not acquitted, but he's out. He's out on parole. So what he was convicted of, what he wasn't convicted of, blah, 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 the fucking filibustering blah, blah, blah of a court system that it's like justice for few, not justice for all. Police brutality in the black community. Justice for few, not justice for all. So it's like, I don't even care to even think about what the bleep 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 did, the dum diddly do, the diddle Yo, the man's out. The man's out. So it's like, that's what it is. He's out. So whatever the fuck he was convicted of and bleep bleep, what the fuck does it matter? He served, what, three years in jail for murdering a 19-year-old uh, mental patient on a fucking streetcar? You know, he could have easily been subdued without the... Um, overkill which what it was so this police brutality you know that's an issue of our time um you know the alleged white privilege you know when you see them motherfuckers be walking around in a neighborhood pretending to be skiing you ever see those dummies with their little ski poles and they're walking around <laughs> walking around with their ski poles that's like white privilege. <laughs> the Pantagonia jackets, that fucking, oh, this is my neighborhood. Gentrified. This is my neighborhood. Um, yo, it's, it's a situation where it's like, okay, we want to let go of past grievances. We want to move forward as a society. But how do you move forward when it's quite clear that, you know, there's a double standard? What's good for the goose isn't good for the gander. And it's like, I've noticed that even for me, when it comes to like the issues of like white privilege, I notice people pick and choose. When it suits the agenda to be afraid of black planet, people are afraid of black planet when it suits the agenda. Like, for example, nobody ever seems really afraid of me when they want to talk down to me, criticize me, insult me, say racist terms towards me. Um, you know, they never want that. There never seems an issue of um, fear, a double standard there. But when it's like, OK, um, you know, certain things revolving around, um, you know, opportunity, X, Y and Z, all of a sudden we're afraid to death. Oh, 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 black man. Ah. Lock up the kids. Ah. All of a sudden, everybody's terrified. That's what I've noticed with white privilege. It's like when it suits the agenda, there's white privilege. When it doesn't suit their agenda, then everything's fine. We're all equal. Everybody's one. And um, 
These are some of the loose concepts that I'm speaking on here, like generally racism, um, white privilege, police brutality, um, you know, stereotypes. These are the loose things that I'm speaking on here that I want to dive into in a little bit more of a specific sense this month. Read up on certain situations, certain stories, certain figures, and, um, you know, celebrate this month, um, Black History Month, the best that I can. Um, I'm kind of inundated with just overall negativity at the moment. And, you know, whether it be like, you know, the woes of the world, coronavirus, um, you know, the woes of politics, you know, Justin Trudeau's beard, you know, Donald Trump impeachment. It's all a lot of, um, it's a lot of negativity. So this Black History Month, I want to focus on more positive things as well. Like, for example, um, group economics, you know? One thing lacking um, a lot of times in the black community is group economics, group pull, group push. You know, it's like we're a community of individuals. Everybody wants to shine for themselves, and sometimes they don't, you know, give that reach around, you know, that old, give the old reach around, the reach back to the community where it's like, you know, pull each other up. Don't be crabs in the bucket, you know, like pull each other up. I've noticed it in my career field as an actor extraordinaire, as a stand-up comedian, I've noticed like, yo, um, a lot of times black entertainers don't link up. They don't link up. They don't get together on things. They, 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 they have egos and they're individuals and, you know, they're at odds with each other. And yes, you know, that's something that I believe people should be focusing more on in the black community is like um, group economics and stuff. And that's what I'm trying to do. You know what I mean? Like, for example, I support a lot of black businesses um, in my community. Um, I recently got a haircut. As y'all can see, I got this dope new haircut. And um, there's this barbershop in my community. It's... Um, it's run by these young black men. And it's like, I'm proud of them. There's a bunch of young dudes like uh, in their early 20s, mid 20s. And they'd be cutting hair. And they do a great job. And that's something I've always noticed in the black community. You know, it's like, sometimes you go to get your hair cut at a barbershop, right? And you walk up in there and, you know, some black guy just staring at you. It's like, why can't you guys operate like first choice or like, you know, super cuts? Why can't you be like a white barbershop? You know, you go into a white barbershop. Hey, good morning there, Jeff. You here for a haircut? And they cut your fucking hair. You walk into a black barbershop. What you want? Like staring at you. It's like, yo, dude, I'm a paying customer. Why are you fucking glaring at me? So it's like, you know, that's something that you see sometimes. Um at barbershops, like this sense of like this fucking attitude, but 
you know, these dudes, you know, they do a great job. They're friendly. They do good work. Um, but uh, it's one of those senses where it's like, it's a lot of talk. It's a lot of talk. Now, for me, a haircut is a chore. There's no way you're going to illuminate a haircut for me. There's no way I'm going to enjoy this process. It's a fucking chore. It's no different than like waiting for the telephone repairman, waiting for the internet repairman. It's a fucking chore. You got to hump your ass down to the fucking barbershop, sit in line, wait to get your haircut. That's just my opinion. That's how I feel about it. You cannot possibly entertain me at the barbershop. I just want my hair cut and I want to be on my motherfucking way. And every time you go there, it's like this sense of like, like I know some of the people there enjoy it, talking, conversing, socializing, but sometimes it just feels like a fucking, it feels like a high school cafeteria. It's like, yo fam, what's happening cuz, what's up player, fam, yo yo fam, what's going on? Oh, you wifey that? You wifey that? Dog, I'm telling you, I she's wifey material, dog. Yo, yo, I'm just cutting hair and making money. Yo, this, yo, that, big ups, what's up, fam, this, that, and the other. They're talking about music, you know? Oh, yo, fam, what's happening, player? What's happening, cuz? Yo, have you heard of little Bippy? Have you heard of little Boppy? Have you heard of little Bumpy? Oh, for crying out loud, I don't know. I don't know. I never heard of them niggas, all right? I'm just here for a haircut, you know? Little Bippy, little Boppy, I don't know. Little Bumpy, I don't know. Just cut my damn hair, all right? I'm not... You know, don't be glaring at me. Don't be talking too much. Just cut the fucking hair. Enough. Stop. Stop. Right? Just, I'm the kind of customer, I'm there for a haircut. That's it. You know? So, and to be fair to the black community, like, that's very much like a barber thing in general. You know, sometimes, um, you know, there's like a joke that I heard in like an old radio program. This guy's, there's this guy and he's describing um, getting lathered up, you know, getting lathered up for a shave at a barbershop, right? And the guy's describing it, right? He goes, yeah, yeah, see, the barber got me all lathered up so I can't talk back, you know? It's got me all lathered up so I can't talk back. That's generally what goes on at a barbershop. A lot of talk. Babylon, Babylon. All them niggas do is just Babylon. And I'm just of the mindset of like, yo, get me in, get me out. I just don't want to hear it, you know. But, you know, I'm very much um, impressed with these dudes. They do a good job. I support um, where I can. And it's that whole idea of like group economics sticking together doing for ourselves versus complaining, you know, being a get up and go, right? And, you know, that's what I'm focusing on this Black History Month. I'm focusing on, you know, the issues of the day, racism, um, interracial couples, um, you know, white privilege, police brutality, group economics, self-sufficiency, Focusing on those issues, focusing on some of the historical people, you know, some of the, um, you know, mentor, mentors 
and legends in the black community. And, you know, I'm not trying to fixate on these little bippies, little boppies, little bumpies. I don't know. I'm just trying to go forward in that vein of um, positivity and, um, you know, oneness. Hallelujah. It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramtram. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent January 2nd. Whoops. February 2nd. 2020. Yes. Um, coronavirus, Donald Trump impeachment, blah, blah, blah. You know what's going on. Uh, just trying to stay on top of things. Black History Month. Going to be dipping into that um, this month. Um, hey, yo, folks, if you like in the podcast, I'm on Spotify. I'm on iTunes. I'm on YouTube. Don't be shy. Tell a friend, you know, let's help this thing uh, grow. So yes, definitely hit me up on all those platforms and yo, tell a friend. Um, again, if you have any questions, queries, or qualms, please do hit me up. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com Till next time, ladies and gentlemen. You live it, you love it, you realize it. Aight? Peace!